minutes printed in the middle of your bulletin announcements. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning, that we might be inspired with your word this day. Amen. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew, Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that was a Sabbath day. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. At Seventh Avenue Church, we tend to use the uh, revised common lectionary to guide us through our services of worship. Uh, the lectionary gives suggested scripture readings for each day. It seems that for this particular Sunday, the sixth Sunday of Eastertide, there were more scriptural offerings than usual. I studied each one and I selected three for today. The first scripture reading was actually our call to worship. Did you catch that? It was from the Hebrew scriptures. There was a portion of Psalm 67 the second scripture reading today was the healing story from the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to John. The third scripture reading today is an otherworldly vision as recorded in the Revelation to John. You can find it printed in the bulletin insert. Let us listen for the word of God. And an angel carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its, is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood. 
but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship God. They will see the holy face, and God's name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. There he was, wearing a simple white t-shirt on which was carefully handwritten three words, vision, hope, courage. He was sitting in an unmarked bus outside of an immigration detention center in Florida. And as he sat there silently, Alejandro hung his head in anguish. Although Alejandro was only in his early 20s, the lines on his forehead and his face made him appear older. When he was a teenager, like many young boys in El Salvador, he had been pressured to join the Mara Salvatrucha, the notorious gang also known as MS-13. 13 representing the gang initiation of being severely beaten by all of the other gang members for 13 seconds. Instead of joining, Alejandro fled from his neighborhood and he went to the home of an uncle, knowing that he had to get out of El Salvador. He traveled south, going all the way to Colombia, South America. There, he found work driving a truck. Life in Colombia was only marginally better, but he was able to live there, to live frugally, and to save his money. Later, he paid a coyote, a people smuggler, $8,000 to get him into the USA. Over the next few months, Alejandro and other young men ran a gauntlet up Central America, passing through the borders of seven different countries until he was able to slip into Texas. From there, he went east to Florida, where he had a relative who had permanent residency status, and that relative helped him find a job doing yard work. For the next several years, Alejandro kept a very low profile. During the week, he worked during the day, stayed home at night. On the weekends, he would usually go to the mall to meet other Hispanic youth. On Sundays, he went to a mass at Catholic Church for Central Americans. One unlucky day, he was stopped at a random checkpoint and arrested when he could not show proper papers to be in the United States. Sitting in the detention center bus waiting to be transported back to El Salvador, an immigration officer asked Alejandro, why did you come to the United States? And he responded, what other choice did I have 
In El Salvador, there is little education or work for most people. There are only the gangs. There is only death. The only option is to try for a better life in the United States. That is my vision. That is my only hope. Our collective vision of what life should be, our personal visions of where we want to be with our own lives, that is what gives life meaning. Viktor Frankl, who was a, a Holocaust survivor and later became a noted psychiatrist, said that the search for meaning is the primary motivation in human beings. And we search for meaning all of our lives. Young children ask why questions, trying to make sense of life. Adolescents push the boundaries of life, trying to determine where they best fit. Adults seek meaning through family or work or perhaps amid a life crisis. But in all of these examples, there is an underlying vision of what should be, of what could be. It's the vision of where we want to be in life. The Bible is filled with visions of the faithful. Look at this morning's three scripture readings. In the call to worship, which was from Psalm 67, when we examine the praises of the people in this psalm, it becomes apparent that they held to the vision of a God who brings to life joy, equity, and abundance. In the Gospel reading, we encounter a vision of how life should be through this healing story of Jesus. Did you know that in virtually every healing story in the Gospels, there is the assumption of a vision? It is the vision of a world in which there will be no sickness, no pain, no disease. These healing stories are witness to the faith that God has come among the people to bring to reality that vision of health and wholeness. In the third reading today, from the Revelation to John, there is this wild vision of the way in which things will be in that great and final day. There will be no day, there will be no night, for the glory of God will be light, and the river of life will flow from the throne of God. The river will be so pure, it will be like crystal. Can you imagine that? To ancient people, crystal or glass was almost as expensive as fine gems because it was so difficult to make. So the most amazing thing that this reader could imagine, the highest vision that he held, was that of a river as pure as glass flowing out of the throne of God. We see this vision even larger in the fourth chapter of Revelation. There we read of God sitting on a throne with an entire sea of glass in front of the throne. In that vision, the elders are seated nearby and the elders are all wearing golden crowns. When the elders see the glory of God, they are so humbled that they take off their crowns and they throw them down. How's that for a dramatic vision? Do you know that that vision of heaven makes its way into our faith today? 
when we sing the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's number 138 in your Blue Presbyterian hymnal that's right in front of you. It's one of my, we sang it a couple of months ago when I assisted Jenna in a service. In that hymn, second stanza, we sing, Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. A vision of what life might be like in that great and final day. All of us have visions of what we want our lives to be. Allow me to remind you of the visions of some notable people. Moses had a vision, a vision of freedom. It was a vision that one day the Hebrew people would no longer be slaves, but they would live in their own land. Mahatma Gandhi had a vision, a vision of liberty. It was a vision that India would cast off colonial rule and live as a free and independent nation. Martin Luther King Jr. had a vision, a vision of equality. It was a vision that African Americans would no longer be seen as less than human, but that they would achieve equal rights. My own ancestors had a vision, a vision of opportunity. And in 1760, they left Scotland. They got on a small wooden ship, not much larger than the ship in the center of that last stained glass window right over there. In something like that, my ancestors made the treacherous journey across the Atlantic Ocean, eventually landing in Virginia. Illegally, according to the indigenous people who were already there. And Alejandro had a vision, a vision of peace. And for Alejandro, his vision was a life free of gang violence and death in El Salvador. And Alejandro made the treacherous journey, just like all the others before him, as he reached for his vision. What is the single common motivator underneath all of these visions. Hope. To me, hope is best defined as a clarity of one's vision, the understanding of one's current situation, and the urge to move towards achieving that vision. Our dear church member, Joan Curry, used to teach the perspectives classes right there in the back of the sanctuary on Sunday afternoons. And more than once, I heard Joan say, we are a people of hope. I had an interesting discussion about hope with a friend of mine. I met Janelle almost as soon as I moved to San Francisco 21 years ago. And we discovered right away that we have so much in common. We both work in healthcare. She's gay, I'm gay. She was single at the time. I was single at the time. She was a recovering Catholic. I was a recovering minister. We became fast friends. <laughs> She's now a marriage and family therapist. I don't remember how the subject came up, but one day years ago, we were talking, and as we were talking, I mentioned hope. 
To which Janelle immediately responded, hope is a four-letter word. Well, that floored me. I realized clearly that somebody was not having a good day, and I decided that I would not pursue that issue. <clears throat> However, I always remembered what she said, and I continued to think about it over the years because it bothered me. Hope has four letters, but for the life of me, I couldn't think of any way in which hope could be a four-letter word. Well, about a year ago, I was talking with Janelle. And again, I don't remember how the subject came up, but the time just seemed right to ask her about it. And so I said, Janelle, do you remember that time when you said to me, hope is a four-letter word? Oh, I never said anything like that. Oh, yes, you did. You said to me plainly, hope is a four-letter word. What did you mean? She thought about it for a moment, and then she confessed that in her clinical practice as a therapist, she has clients who will sit face-to-face -face with her and say things like, I hope my relationship with my spouse and my children will improve. I hope I will be able to find a job that will finally work out for me. I hope I will be able to get out of credit card debt. But she said they seem so reluctant to take the steps necessary towards making the changes that will improve their situations. They seem to be wasting their lives hoping. So Janelle said, if someone uses hope as an excuse for inaction, then hope becomes a dirty word. Ah, so hope is the yearning that gives us the courage to take the steps necessary for us to reach our visions of the future. The people I mentioned earlier all took steps. Literally, they all took steps. They walked in the hope of achieving their visions. Look at them one more time. <clears throat> Moses led his people out of Egypt, and they walked for 40 years in the hope of achieving their vision of freedom in a promised land. Mahatma Gandhi <clears throat> walked across India in the hope of realizing his vision of liberty and independence for the Indian people. Martin Luther King Jr. walked as he led demonstrations across this country in the hope of achieving equality for African Americans. The women and the men of our armed services have marched into battle in the hope of keeping alive our vision of democracy. And Alejandro walked all those 2,000 miles from Colombia, South America, through seven different countries in Central America in the hope of grasping his vision of peace and opportunity. What about you? What is your vision?
What is your hope? What is one single hopeful step that you can take today, this week, that will help lead you towards your vision? Maybe you have a personal vision of a career in which you can fully use your knowledge and your skills and will, which will help pay you enough so that you can afford to live in this very expensive place. Or perhaps you have the vision of a city in which nobody goes to bed hungry and everybody has a place to call home. Maybe you have the vision of a country that is truly democratic and where every voice is heard and respected. But in this next week, I encourage you to focus on the vision of the life God is calling you to live. What is your hope? What is one specific hopeful step that you can take next week that will move you just a little bit closer towards your vision. Now, that's something to do next week because in two weeks, we will celebrate Pentecost, the day in which God gave the spirit to the faithful to empower them to live as people of hope. My prayer this Pentecost is that the Almighty Spirit will fill you with clarity of vision with hope overflowing, and with the courage to take the steps necessary for you to reach that vision. Thanks be to God. In the name of the one who created us as a people of vision, in the name of the Christ whose love fills us with hope, in the name of the Spirit who empowers us to take hopeful steps towards our vision all the days of our lives until we reach that great and final day in which perhaps we too will join with all the saints as together we cast down our golden crowns around that glassy sea. <laughs> May it ever be so. Amen.